Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor of Casper Lion Church. Again, we want to say thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. It's not lost on us that there's plenty of things to listen to and consume, and you're choosing us to hear. So we appreciate that. This is week five of studying through the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. Uh, I've been making it a habit this week to have a little pre-sermon. I've talked about something that happens during the worship set or something. So at the beginning of each of these talks, there's about another eight to ten minutes of me sharing some thoughts, ideas, maybe some things I've been inspired by. So we appreciate you listening. If you'd like to know more about our church, check us out at casperchurch.com or facebook.com forward slash Casper Alliance Church. We also have an app. You can go to your app store and search for Casper Alliance Church. Look for the double C's and download and you'll be connected with us. Have a great week. I want, I want you to know that the songs that we just sang actually are derived from a space in Scripture. I, and I don't know, I'm sure that Hannah probably thought through this. And there's times in a church service where you're like, do I go and interrupt? Am I on? By the way, I don't know if I turned my mic on. I did. I, I just yell over the amplification, so it's just kind of the way I talk. But I, um, there's times in a church service where you're like, do I go and interrupt what's happening right now? Or do I let things happen the way they're happening? And I actually feel pretty good freedom to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. I, I mean, because there isn't really anybody, like, there's not somebody going to say you shouldn't do that, because I'd be like, I can do that, because I work here. But uh, I, I want to give you a space to where you understand, we, we don't just sing to sing for the sake of singing, because singing is what you do at church. There's a response that happens, and singing is a, singing is a response to what God's doing. And, and for those of us who don't know if that's really true, it is, I promise. Like, if you don't like singing now, you're going to hate heaven, I think. I really do. I mean, you're going to have to get over it pretty quickly. Because as soon as you're gone and in heaven, that's what you do. Because that's the only thing that you know how to do, because it's the only thing you're supposed to do. Because, it, because exalting, exalting God in heaven is like what we do. But there's a response mechanism that happens here. And so I want to I frame the songs this morning. Isaiah 6. I kept reading it while we were singing it. And, I mean, this is like probably one of the more, like, if you're a church person, you're like, you know this passage or you've heard it. And I want to read it to you. And then I'm going to yell at you for a second. And then I'm going to do the thing after I did the thing I just did, which is called the sermon. Isaiah 6 says this. It was in the year... This is the first time I think I've actually done this from the front where I've used my phone to read the scripture. And I'm not going to do it. It's bad. So I'm going to turn in Isaiah. <laughs> There's something that just felt wrong about that. Like all of a sudden I turned into like hipster pastor with flannel and glasses and bad hair. It was the year of King Uzziah. I don't have a beard. I did shit off. I usually have a beard. King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and in a train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and they two they covered their feet, and two they flew. They were calling out to each other songs. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now they could have been chanting that. I believe they're singing. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips. And yet I have seen the King, the Lord's heaven's armies. 
meaning Isaiah has now encountered the Holy of Holies. He stepped into that temple. He, was, he passed the outer gates. He was in the courts of praise. He, he was in the, in the actual presence of God. And, and this is his response. I am doomed. It's all over for me. I sit with people who are filthy, who are disgusting. I, we are sinful. Then the ser- one of the seraphim flew with me to the burning coal. We sang this this morning. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and he said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Meaning you've been cleansed. You've been whitewashed. You are done. There is no longer condemnation in you. You have been forgiven. Your sins are no longer in front of the Holy of Holies, in front of God. Your sins are cleansed. Now Isaiah's response to this is not like, sweet, let's start a church and let's just hang out on Sunday mornings only and be together on Sundays. So I'm getting into the thing that I'm going to say before the thing I get ready to say. And that, it's not just to sit and chill and rest and relax and grow the bank account. It's not just to, to go have a nice job and to take care of your kids and to make sure everything is perfect and pleasing and, and just built well and so that you, you can do the right things and so that it feels good and so you can go on vacation and like life is great. That's not his response. It's not. His response is really, really hard and difficult and, and, and if we want to encounter that or even, even get involved with that response, it requires us to actually do something that's uncomfortable. And so here's what he says. Here I am. Send me. So his response to being cleansed, to be forgiven, to, to encounter the Holy Holy, to stand before the presence of God, is to say, here I am. Do something with me. Do something with me. Do Make me do something. And then, he, and then he said, yes, go. And to the people, this is, the, this is God saying, go do this. Listen carefully, but do not understand. I'm sorry, I'm mush-mouthing. Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of those people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Meaning, it's time to break the cycle that we've been living in. To where we, we do the thing, and then we ask for forgiveness. We do the thing, and then we ask for forgiveness. We do the thing, and then we ask for forgiveness. It's time to truly be forgiven, to step out boldly, and to, and to do this thing. And Isaiah is saying, here I am, I'll do this thing that you're asking me to do. And then, the Lord, then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? How long will this have to happen this way? And this is sobering. And he replied, until their towns are empty. Their houses are deserted. The whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away. And the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Even a tenth, a remnant survive. If that even happens. It will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or an oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down. So Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Israel's stump will be a holy seed. From the stump of Jesse comes Christ. Jesse's dad was, what did you decide last week? Obed. Obed's dad was Boaz, who we're talking about right now. From the stump 
of Israel, the stump of Jesse, becomes the seed that will grow a forest of believers, of followers, of people who should regularly say, here I am, send me. See, the, the thing I have to get into our faces about is when you encounter, when you encounter the living God, and He forgives you, and you receive that forgiveness, and, you, and you've confessed, and you've, and you've kneeled before Him and said, I am sorry, what a wretched man I am, I'm a sinner, and you've received that cleansing, and you receive and say, yes, thank you for the forgiveness, it doesn't stop there. And too many times in our lives, and I'm going to say in the life of the church, specifically our church, the American church, we just stop. Instead of living out the call of here I am, Send me. Now the mission of Isaiah was to go and preach doom and gloom. To say something that wasn't fun. There's so, and this happened this morning to me. I'm walking around the building and I'm thinking, man, when, is, when are we going to hit that like, number in my head like, like where all of a sudden there's 300, 400, 500 people in this and there's just chaos. And I'm going, what, what do I need to, here's the thing that's going to my heart, what do I need to do differently to entice people to show up to our church? What an awful thing to do and say. It's so horrible. Because it's not that like, I want to tickle the ears of the people so they're excited about coming here. That's such a fake, false gospel. That's such a lightweight way to preach and talk. And you know that's not my heart. But so you see, as, as even as I live and walk in the church and love to serve and, and pastor the church, I'm faced with that very tension every day. I say, here I am, send me. But I only want to say the things that people like to hear. And they think that I'm funny. And they think that, they, hey, I want to go to that church because that pastor's cool. And he has glasses and messy hair and a scraggly beard and wears jeans and has cool colored shoes. That guy's fun to be around. What a soft, weak gospel. So as we're singing those songs, I'm going, who am I? Send me. You've called me. In fact, I get a chance to stand before an entire congregation and yell at them every Sunday. But I'm fighting the same kind of pressure and tension in my own soul to just to like be, be fun, to be light. Now, there's room in, I think, our walk with Jesus to be fun and to be light, to be silly, to go to Disney World. In fact, I encourage all of you to go to Disney World. It's the happiest place on earth. But it's not right for us to not respond to the, to the good news of Jesus without action. We have to have action. You've got to do a thing. You've got to respond. Sometimes our response is as simple as, like, Lord, help me to do tomorrow better. Sometimes our response is, help me to do the next hour better. Sometimes our response needs to be, I'm sorry that I've acted that way, Lord. Forgive me. I'm not saying that we're all going to get the Isaiah moment to where we're sent into a land and told that they're all going to burn. But there is a response that God is calling his people to have. And it's as a, as a result of experiencing the good news of Jesus Christ. Even so, to this famous passage in Isaiah, points to the good news of Jesus Christ. All that will remain in Israel is a seed from the stump of Jesse. And that seed, that one seed, the seed only, is going to produce a mighty, 
mighty harvest. And as your pastor, I want us to participate in that harvest. So wake up tomorrow, wake up even this afternoon after your afternoon nap. Who am I? Send me. Anybody already planning their nap? Is anybody napping right now? I'll start calling you out right now. All right. That's the thing I was going to say before the thing I'm actually supposed to say. Turn with me to Ruth. I could probably be done. That's probably a message right there. We're done. We have five verses today. I didn't plan this, by the way. Um, So our our Ruth series, Ruth, the book of Ruth, we're we're in it. This is the fifth week. We have a few more weeks. We're going to do through the end of May. That'll take up Ruth. And then we're going to start a series in the the book of Psalms uh, called the Psalms of Ascent. And um, if you want to, there's a great book that goes along with it. And I'm going to throw it out there on email if you want to get it. Um, it it's goes through a bunch of different psalms, and it's about discipleship in a modern age. Uh, it's called, the book's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and we're going to look at the psalms this summer. Like, I think it's like 12 or 13 different psalms. And we're just going to talk about big discipleship topics from a psalm perspective. So that's gonna, and then in the fall, I know I'm giving you a big overview, the fall we're going to step into Revelation. And we're going to do 12 weeks in the book of Revelation. And all of our elders are going to teach, and I'm just going to watch and judge. Just kidding. I'm excited about preaching Revelation. And so we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to get any, any code breaking. So all of you who think it's the Da Vinci Code in Revelation, you're wrong. It's not. We're not going to do that. And I'm not going to make any predictions here. on. But we will talk about a dragon maybe once. So uh, we'll do that. And that will go through the fall. So that's, that's fun. And we'll have Christmas. And trust me. All of a sudden, we're going to be putting Christmas lights on. I just took them down yesterday or Friday. Our Christmas lights are down. And I've never had my wife happier with me than when I took the Christmas lights down. She was so pumped about it. All right, five verses. Ruth chapter 3. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain and his young with his young women tonight he will be at the winnowing he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor now do as i tell you take a bath and makes you feel like it's a junior high boy right <laughs> ruth, ruth is not a junior high boy take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes then go to the threshing floor but don't let boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now I'm looking out in the crowd right now. We have some young ears in here. and I'm preemptively saying I'm sorry. I might mention something that has to do with I'm sorry. So if, if there's a mom that wants to protect their kids, it's not going to be graphic. Why are you smiling? <laughs> You're looking at me. What's going on? That face, like a cherry tomato. So there is a, there's a portion of this story that, that has a, a relation aspect to it. That's not going to be the point of the story, but I, I will mention it. I just want to give you kind of a, a flyover that, that that's going to happen. 
because it's literature, it's literary, and, and the, the writer of, of Ruth, which there's still some debate on who did it, um, includes that as part of the story, as part of the narrative on purpose to help kind of like get people to read it and to say, why, why is this important? Wait a second, this is a little risque. I want to keep reading. So that's part of it. So here's the deal. Um, I did not plan this for a Mother's Day like message. This is just kind of how it fit. It was, I wouldn't even think, I don't think about Mother's Day. It's not a thing that like is on my, the top of my head. I, we have, um, I just don't. And I have to be reminded like, oh, I need to send my mom flowers. Oh, boys, you need to get your mom a Mother's Day gift. Um, did any moms get breakfast this morning? Any of you? Was it just awful? Was it, your husband made it. Your kids didn't. If Kira were to make you breakfast, I wonder what that would look like. <laughs> we have a joke at our house. I don't I mean about how bad breakfast has been over the years. You know, it's like Cheerios with water in it and runny eggs and mayonnaise toast. And like, what do I put on this? Do I put jelly on it? No, this white stuff looks good. Let's spread it on the toast. And then Adrienne has to choke it down. But, it, but what's happening in this story, in this part of the story, Naomi is the mother-in-law, the widow, and, and we've talked about it up to this point. Ruth, Ruth has left all that she's known. Ruth has left her land. She's left her family. She, her husband died, and her mother-in-law, she said, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. We'll go together. I'm going to leave my land. I'm going to leave my comfort. I'm going to leave everything I have, and I'm going to come with you and be with you. I'll support you and care for you. And then as the story un, un, unfolds, we, Naomi's bitter, and as the story unfolds, uh, God starts to show his favor to, to Ruth as, as she's as she's on the gleaning the fields and runs into Boaz. And the story, like all of a sudden Naomi's heart, and we talked about that last week, Naomi's heart starts to change and say, wait, I'm not bitter anymore. God's actually blessing us. God's hands on us. God's, may God bless those who are blessing us. And, and, as, and her heart starts to change. And even, even as that is part of that deeper kind of theological thing that's happening, Naomi's starting to understand more about Yahweh and this God of the Hebrews and this and who Naomi's God is, and, and, and having these conversion moments too, to where she's starting to truly not just say in, in word that I'm going to go where you go and your God's going to be my God, but really believe and act out and live out this, this, uh, this way of the Jew, the Hebrew. And so as we get to the point to where Ruth starts to have favor with Boaz, and they have a, they have a meal together, and Boaz invites her to say, hey, come and join me, walk with me. You can actually not, you don't have to wait till it's all done. You can actually glean the fields and be, with, be there with my workers. You're one of us. And then Naomi's like, hey, wait, that's one of our kinsmen. That's somebody that's a family member. And this is where, mo- where Naomi steps into mom mode. And this is what she's doing. She really is, she's stepping into mom mode. She's making a plan. She hatches a plan. Does any of your moms hatch a plan for you? To say, I got an idea. If you present yourself at this particular time to this particular person in this particular way, there's a good chance that that person might like you. Anybody have that story in the background? My origin story with my bride is not like that. I was going to pick her up at her sorority, Delta, Delta, Delta. True. I, I didn't make that up. That's not pastoral. She was in Tri-Delt. And I went to pick up her friend to go to a play. I might have told this story, but maybe not. And she answered the door, cussing and swearing. <laughs> she did say something. It was the C word. Oh, I'm not going to fill it in because there's kids in the room. And I was like, oh, we have a potty mouth at Tridel. 
In fact, I've heard that word in this church probably 15 times this morning, by the way. Um, I'll call some of you out later. But, but I was like, I was kind of instantly like, oh, who's this person? And I, I never used my connections with the sorority, even though I had been involved, to get a number. And so I used my connection with Katie, look, was her name, is her name, and it's Katie Robson now, um, to get her number, and I cold called her. Hey, I met you uh, in just a brief second. Would you like to go on a date? And she must have been desperate because she was like, I guess, let's try it. And so we talked on the phone. I don't know if she knew what I looked like at all, and I wasn't like the rugged, handsome man that I am now. I was more of like a... I was probably a more roly-poly or softer self. Still wore plaid, still had jeans that didn't quite fit right, but I had a sports car, remember? That 99 Chevy Cavalier. And she, our first date, that like was the first time she saw me, and that, that's when we met for the first time, was that first date. There was nobody planning or orchestrating that. Now, she probably had the pump prime for her from some of her sorority sisters who knew who I was, and, and there was a couple, and we talked on the phone a little bit beforehand to kind of organize. But I, I, so I was freshly kind of like pretty new into the Minneapolis area. And you guys probably don't know Minneapolis, but I, I picked her up to go on this date. And Minneapolis is, is, is uh, kind of at the bottom of the state, like let's make a fist, right? And it's kind of like a circle if you want to drive all the way around it. And I took her on a date from like the bottom here to the, to the very top because I didn't know where else to go. I was scared to drive downtown. I didn't know a lot. So I worked at this Wendy's in Maple Grove, Minnesota, and there was a cool Chinese restaurant right next door. So I was like, we're going to drive from Minneapolis to Maple Grove for our date. So anybody who's been in the Twins, you guys know how long. That's like a 30-minute drive. For people who don't know each other, like it was very complicated. Well, I don't know how much time. I don't even remember that. I remember the fact that I took her to this bad Chinese. I thought it was good, but it was a bad Chinese restaurant. That's what I... And we, we had dinner, and then after that, I was like, hey, you want to keep hanging out? She's like, yeah, let's go to a movie. And we went and saw a, a wonderful classic, uh, The Waterboy. <laughs> and that was our first date. And, and I promise, she went home that night and was like, I'm going to marry this man. <laughs> but no one's, we, no one, that's not even a lie. Don't even exaggerate that as a lie. And no one set that up. No one planned it. No one orchestrated it. The guy that was in charge of the date didn't even plan it well. It was such a hot mess. Like it was, like, but, but by the grace of God, she's like, okay, I'll give you another date. And I was like, yeah, and I told you this last week. I was like, want to come over and watch the movie Goonies? And she's like, I guess. <laughs> I, I am giving this man all of the rope that he can handle. But there was no plan at all. It just was me, like, willy-nilly stepping into this relationship, trying to figure out how to do it. And I, I was such a mess. And there was no one to even help me. Like, I just did it on my own. And my, like, I, I had no clue what I was doing. Naomi, being the mother-in-law, puts on the role of the mom and says, I have a plan. Here's how we're going to do this. I love it. She says, take a bath first. Because I mean, Ruth's working in the fields. Like she's working in the fields. She's like, it's time to get cleaned up. You stink a little bit. Let's get some of the stink off of you. Let's put your dress on. Let's put some perfume on. And here's what we're going to do. You're going to go to Boaz, and you're going to present yourself to him. I mean, that's a plan. And, and in, in Old Testament, ancient times, that's a bold plan. That's a big deal. 
Now, the scripture leaves it a little bit loose, but really the whole intent here was to root. Ruth was to look seductive, alluring, enticing to Boaz. The timing in which, in which uh, Naomi is suggesting that Ruth goes to this is very calculated as well. She knows where he's going to be. She knows what's going to be happening there. She knows why it's going to be happening. So at this particular time, the threshing floor, the harvest season, wasn't just work. It was a celebration. There was this excitement of like what God has provided and how God has prepared and gave them food and now that they have wealth and money and be, and be able to pay the bills and to have things. So the threshing floor was actually a celebration floor where they were drinking and living merry and in consuming wine and in eating. And so the timeline of all of this is set up perfectly for Ruth to arrive and present herself when Boaz might be just a little bit off-center. He's had just a little bit to drink. He's got a full belly. The Scripture says he's in good spirits. And there, the seductive, beautiful, bathed Ruth is to present herself. Now, the Scripture teaches, all in the reference, when we talk about exposing the feet, which I'm not going to reread again, it's not just the feet. Ruth was, Naomi told Ruth to pull the blanket up from the feet to the waist. And if you knew, know a couple of things, underwear might be like a 19th century, 20th century, maybe even some for some teenagers, a 21st century experience. <laughs> There's been many times in our life where we've got a call from a school, I'm talking maybe a couple years ago even, where we were called by a principal that said, hey, Carter's not wearing any underpants. Could you bring him a pair of underpants to school? Not that he went to the bathroom, he just decided it was time to go commando as like a fourth grader. I'm not wearing underpants today. And so sure enough, that's a thing. But for, for Boaz, that really was the way in which you dressed. And so this action, the thing that's happening right now, is not just like a, hey, let's go out to Chinese food and the water boy, uh, and, and maybe we can develop a relationship out of this. This is full-fledged, I want you. And I'm going to force you to make a decision to want me back. I'm going to come when you're a little bit off-center. I'm going to be the best way I can possibly be, bathed, clothed, and beautiful, seductive. And I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to expose you and lie at your feet, submitting, surrendering before your feet. Now, before your feet meant a lot of different things in Scripture, but essentially, I'm going to offer myself to you sexually. And Naomi says to do this, gives the structure and the path and how to do that, and says, Boaz will respond to you. Now this is incredible faith, incredible creativity, and, and even in a way, I think, I think Naomi's saying, I know our re kinsman redeemer, I know our family, I know the kind of man Boaz is, and I know when you do this, the response that you're going to get. And we're going to get into that response next week. But it's all calculated in a way to where the mother-in-law puts this plan into place for one purpose, to take care of her daughter. To take care of her daughter. To say, you need to be protected, provided, and cared for. You need to be safe, secure, and loved. You need to have 
the wings of the Lord wrapped around you without fear. Let me read this to you again. It's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. In Naomi's journey in her path, she has moved from lament to praise. And as part of praise now, where she's praising the Lord for what God is doing, praising those for, for what God is, praising the people who have blessed them, Boaz specifically, now she's moving into, I'm going to act. I'm going to step out. I trust that the Lord's hand is on this situation. In your life, have you had a, a sequence of events where you've made bold decisions, you've taken faith-filled initiatives, you've had things in your life where you've taken steps and steps and steps and steps, and, and you're still questioning whether or not God's in it? Is God in this? And I think we can learn from Naomi and this say, take a step in faith, and He has us. Now, not in the, like the cliche, God's got this, like He's going to make everything right, but there are things that God has given you an intellect. And he's given you intuition, and he's given you skill, and he's given you talent to where as you're walking with him, he's saying, just make the next step. And so there's this, there's this wonderful theological kind of activity where it's God's sovereignty and man's action to where God's plan is being carried out. And there's many times in our own life where I think we're like taking steps, taking steps, and then all of a sudden we pause and we're fearful and we say, I don't know if I can do that. Think about it in your own business decisions that you've had to make in business. I know we have business owners or, or people who want to own businesses where you've gone up to a certain point and you froze. And you say, is this the next step? Now, I'm not saying for you to just dive into the pool, but I am saying that there's something about making a plan and having God's hand within the plan. This, could have, this has everything to do with how you parent or how you manage your day or even how you get up in the morning and, and put your day together. The more, the more you think about what are the steps I need to take in order for God to bless my steps, the better the blessing will be. And that's not health and wealth. That's actually saying, Lord, guide my steps. Lord, direct my path. Lord, I want to... But you've got to keep walking. There's so many times where we just freeze out of fear and we say, I don't know if I can do this. And Naomi's like, listen, I've come from the dark place. She lost her husband. She lost her kids. She lost all of these people in life. And she's even proclaimed, I am bitter. Call me bitter. God's hand isn't on me anymore. To where we see this transformation in her heart and her soul. To where now she's going, it's time to take some steps. It's time to make some action. It's time for us to take the next step of faith. And, we, and God's hand's got to be on this. This is a bold move to present your daughter-in-law who does not have a husband before a man of stature and character and in an ancient world where women were abused and taken advantage of and used as currency to present before him and say, please? Now the response is going to be beautiful what's going to happen. But I do believe that Naomi is stepping out in faith going, this is a man of character and he's going to make the right choice at the right time because he's done it to this point. He continues to make the right choice at the right time. He is a hero. He could have easily, and I know, you know, I'm revealing a little bit, he could have easily taken advantage of Ruth. He could have taken advantage of Naomi. He could have, he could have just used, made Ruth one of his quiver of ladies, part of his harem. That's not who Boaz is. Verse 4, be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. 
He will tell you what to do. Naomi is saying, if you do these steps, I know that God's hands on us and, and, and he will tell Boaz what to do so that the result that we're looking for comes about. Now, I know some of you are going, I've taken some sweet steps. I've taken some hard, I made some faithful risks and it did not work out. And I don't have great answers for that sometimes. I've taken some risks too and they have not worked out. I've tried things. I've tried to manipulate things. I've tried to make things happen. I've tried, I've tried all sorts of things, and they just haven't worked out. But what does that mean? Do we stop? I want to go back to the thing I said before the thing I just said. When you've had the, when you've had the sweet forgiveness of sin, the sweet encounter of salvation. When you understand and have received from the Lord and been cleansed and experienced the good news of Jesus Christ, the confessing of your sins, the belief in Christ on the cross and his resurrection, and have faith in that, all of a sudden, well, what should happen is, here I am, send me. And that can be, here I am, send me into the coal mine. Here I am, send me into the Wendy's. Here I am, send me into the church. Here I am, send me into the schoolhouse. Here I am, send me into the kitchen to make dinner. Here I am, send me into the park to play with my kids. Here I am, send me on this long haul ride so I can take care of my family. Here I am, send me. But it's this, I'm going to continue to say, here I am, send me, and take that step. So when I get knocked down, when I get punched, when I fail, when I screw up, it's not because God's hand's not on me. Because God's hand's always on you when you say, here I am, send me. Sometimes crap happens. Which is the 17th time I've heard that word in this church this morning. Sometimes it happens. And it's not explainable. And the world is tough and hard. And things don't work all the time together. And it doesn't always make sense. But if we don't have the attitude and the position of, here I am, send me, because I've experienced the power and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, will continue to wither. And that seed that's been planted will never grow or blossom and propel us into the next step, the next action, the next thing. So that's not an answer for your failure or the failure. But it is, hopefully, hope that there is hope to say, here I am, send me. To at least make a plan. Again, follow Naomi's story loses everything, experiencing life as a marginalized person, as a woman without a protector, a husband, a caregiver, a daughter-in-law who's hated by the people that she now believes. She's a Moabite, remember? She's hated. They're evil. To be able to make a plan for that Moabite woman who's converted to Judaism to go present himself before the kinsman redeemer Boaz, who then will author, or sire might be a better way to say it, the pathway to Christ. This action right here, Naomi, do you think she has any clue that Jesus is going to come from this? No. She is motivated as a mom trying to protect her young, who she now has adopted. 
If Naomi's bold like this, what do you think God is for us who sent Jesus to die for us and we are adopted into his family, grafted into his household. We are called sons and daughters of the king because Jesus came to the cross, went there, died for our sins. That is a crazy, crazy, crazy way to bring us into a family. Naomi's acting out knowing, faith-believing, God's hand of provisions on them. Trusting at every step God's going to lead the path. That will author the story of Christ. That's wild. This risque moment here in Scripture, because it is risque, is the beginning of the story of Jesus. It's wild. God's hand of provision is walking with God's people. It doesn't always feel like we want it to feel or take shape like we want it to take shape. Sometimes we get fired. Sometimes we lose the dream job. Sometimes we lose our checking account. Sometimes we have to file bankruptcy. Sometimes we lose a child. Sometimes we fill in the blank. There's not always going to be roses. But God's hand of provision is on God's people. He is for you. He is for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, your scripture, what it teaches us, what it challenges us to do, what it, what it encourages us. Lord, that it shows us so much. Lord, I, I've been thinking we could take this five verses and probably tell 15 different sermons. Lord, continue to encourage our heart through your word. Help us to connect with you. Lord, make us a people who says, here I am, send me. That we continue to step. Lord, we love you. Again, we say thank you for the mothers. Help us to have a, a blessed day today. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks.